We are so glad that Pastor Alex and Grace and the Bridger family and Xander are part of our staff. Um, I have worked with Pastor Alex over the last five years in different capacities, um, and so when it was time for him uh, and the opportunity arose for him to come on staff, Pastor Ken te- texted me and was like, what do you think about Pastor Alex? I said, yes, hire him. That's what I said, yes. And so what I, what I want you to know is that, and he'll share a little bit about who he is, what I want you to know is that he not only leads our youth, but he... Yes, and he does a marvelous job in that. Pastor Alex does not just have a word for the now generation. He has a word for every generation. Can I just tell you that this man has been in ministry for uh, over 10 years, uh, traveling the nation, speaking and preaching the gospel, and he has a word for you in season today. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to tune your ears for the next 30, I guess I just... I just gave you 30 minutes. The next 37 minutes, (laughs) the next 37 minutes to listen what the Lord has put in this man's heart for us. On the count of three, I want you to give him a warm lighthouse welcome for our newbie staff member, Pastor Alex Bridger. One, two, three. Thank you. Good morning, church. Uh, Now, y'all, the 10 o'clock, y'all gonna wake up. I got a word. I'm ready to preach. And I had an energy drink today, so <laughs> anyways. Man, I'm so grateful, so grateful to be here. Uh, my name is Alex. I'm the youth pastor here for Verge Student Ministries, and it's an honor and privilege to be with you today. Hey, uh, before I get started, I believe in honor. I believe uh, in our culture today, we do a bad job at honoring other people, right? I believe we don't give people flowers until after they're gone. Right? So really quick, I know they're not here, but can we show our love and our appreciation to Pastor Ken and Holly Kramer? Come on, can we give it up for them? Come on. Amen, amen. Listen, uh, I've traveled the nation, I've preached in many different churches, and we are blessed to have the senior pastors that we do. Amen? Amen? Amen. Well, my name is Alex. As I said, I have uh, traveled and preached for the last 10 years, preaching in churches just like this, and I'm fortunate and blessed to be on staff with you today, Leading Verge. And uh, I want to introduce my family to you. Can I do that if you don't know who I am? I got some pictures of my family. That's me and my wife, Grace. Everybody say, aw. Okay, good, good. Because at 8 a.m., I did that at 8 a.m., and they didn't say nothing. But my wife wasn't here, so we didn't get in trouble. So anyway... So that's my wife, Grace. We also have a son named Xander. Let's go to the next slide. Yeah. Listen, I took this picture because I'm trying to get him sponsored for Hurley, okay? I'm just... <laughs> Salvation is free, but ministry is not, amen? So we also got some other kids that my wife says look just like me. Let's go to the next slide. That's Willow and Lolo. They're our fur babies. Um, but hey, since we are a part of the family, we're going to let you in on a little secret if you don't know or follow us on Facebook. Let's go to the next slide. We got a baby on the way. Amen. So in May, we're having our second baby. We don't know what it is yet, but we will have two under two. So pray for me uh, because I'll watch a lot of Elmo and not have a lot of sleep. So 
Jesus' name, pray for me. But hey, I'm ready to share the word with you today. I feel like the Lord's put a word on my heart today. But you know, one thing I do when I travel to different churches is I, I do one thing before I travel and speak, and I'm going to ask you to do it today because um, I have the microphone. So anyways, can you like sit forward in your seat? Just lean forward. I know they're like, who did they hire? What is going on today? Have you ever been sitting on a couch at Christmas? Maybe you're like six, seven, eight years old, and you wanted one thing for Christmas, and you knew it was under the tree, right? Like, we won't get into the whole Santa or parents. I won't get into all that. But you knew that that present you wanted was under that tree, and all you had to do was wait for mom and dad to say go, and you went to get it. And there was an anticipation that I got that gift. I know it's under that tree. But you know what I think? Is that we had that posture at Christmas when we're kids because we know that there's a gift waiting for us, but we don't have that same posture when it comes to church. We come in here sometimes and we just sit back and we just, well, and we wonder why God doesn't move in big ways. So today, my challenge for you today is to lean forward, not the whole service, you don't have to do that, but may your spiritual posture be that way that you may receive something from God today, not from me, but I believe God's going to speak to you today, but it's us, up to us to receive it. Amen? Amen? Amen. Sit back in your chair. Today's message is called, Be Remembered. Can I pray for us today before we get started? God, we love you. God, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for that your spirit's already here. It's already moving. It's already touching lives and hearts. God, today, I pray I would get out of the way. God, may your will be done today on what you want to do. God, I pray for every heart, every mind today that's carrying something heavy. God, I pray you speak to them in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Turn to your neighbor and say they look better than they did last week. Some people say, well, I wasn't here last week. Well, you still look better than you did last week because now you're here, right? Hey, how many are ready for Thanksgiving? Uh, me, I'm from the South. My mom was a Southern cook, so that means I love Thanksgiving, right? And um, I love this season of Thanksgiving. Actually, I love this season too because my birthday's coming up this week, and uh, I won't tell you how old I am, but it's the oldest I've ever been, so I'm feeling it. But I just love this season of Thanksgiving. You get around family, and you know, but can I be honest with you? A little secret, and for those that are watching online, keep the secret. Sometimes I get a little uptight when I get around my family at Thanksgiving. You know what I'm talking about. Anybody got that uncle in your family that just doesn't have a filter? Like when uncle so-and-so walks in the room, you just know you need to leave the room or something embarrassing is going to happen or they're not going to have a filter, right? For me, I have an uncle. I won't say his name because we're live streaming. I don't know if he'll watch this. But I have an uncle who walks in the room and at Thanksgiving, everyone gets tense because he participates in pre-Thanksgiving activities that I will not mention on this stage. <laughs> but his filter's just gone, right? And, and what they like to do is they like to pick on us, especially us younger ones, and tell embarrassing stories. Anybody's family tell embarrassing stories when friends get around? Especially like when you were dating significant others, like, oh, let me pull this picture of you in the bathtub, right? Well, my family does that, and I get it kind of double-dosed because... 
at my birthdays this time. And they, they tell a story about me when I was three years old. Can we put that picture up of me and my mom? Boom, there it is. Everybody say, aw. That picture will tell you two things. One, I did have hair. And two, uh, that was a Baptist Church Olin Mills photo. Come on, somebody. I am saved, sanctified, and I got out before 12 for lunch. Amen. But that's me and my mom. We were at church, and around this time, I was three or four and my mom was a Southern woman who liked to cook. That's why I got the physique that I got. And uh, chi fried chicken just sticks to your ribs. Anybody's grandparents should say you just big boned That's how, yeah, anyway. Anyway, I didn't say that at 8 a.m. I get any laughs in the balcony? Maybe, okay. But anyways, uh, my mom used to cook all the time. And when we walk into her house, there would just be an aroma, a smell, right? Just a just grease and food and fried foods. And um, I remember when I was a kid, they tell the story of I wanted to help my mom cook at three or four years old. I just wanted to be around my mom. I wanted to help her cook. Here's the problem, Pastor Daniel, is that when I went in to help my mom cook, I waited till she left the kitchen. <laughs> Y'all already saved. You already know where this is going. So what happened is my mom was cooking a meal and it was after Sunday church, my dad was working, and me and my mom went to church, we came home, she was cooking a meal, and I decided to get off the couch, and I was gonna go help her cook. Now, here's the problem, I didn't know what I was gonna cook, but they tell this story. They tell this story that I decided that I was gonna cook something in the house, which was this. If you don't know what this is, this is a bathtub stopper. <laughs> a little three-year-old Alex, future chef, just kidding, I'm not a chef, uh, grabbed a bathtub stopper, went into the kitchen when my mom wasn't there, and the only appliance I could reach was the microwave. Oh, okay, I didn't know, okay. <laughs> so I put this metal bathtub stopper in the microwave, and the only number I could reach on the microwave was 9999. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't tell you what my mama said, even though she was saved and sanctified when she walked back into a blew-up microwave, right? But here's what I will tell you about me and that microwave, is that when my dad got home, we ended up in the same condition, okay? <laughs> Anyways, you got what I was saying. That was back in the 90s, anyway. So you say, well, what's this got to do with anything? I have no idea. I just wanted to tell you that story about my family. I'm just kidding. It has to do with today's message. Have you ever thought about what you'd be remembered for? Not in a blowing up a microwave type situation, right? Maybe you're not in my shoes and that's okay. I'm glad you're not. But have you ever thought about what you'd be remembered for? And not just in like a eulogy type of way, like end of life type of way. Have you ever thought about this season that you're in in 2022, what you would be remembered for? See, for me growing up, I remember uh, I was remembered as a kid with the long curly hair when I was a child. And then as in middle school and high school came along, I was remembered as the sports guy. I played sports all year round and I was remembered as the jock. And then moving in and graduating, I went to Bible college and then I was remembered as the Bible nerd and Pastor Alex. And now I'm just known as Xander's dad, right? But have you ever thought about what you'd be remembered for? In this Thanksgiving season, when you get with family and friends, have you thought about how they would remember you in this season? 
Will they remember you for your Christian faith in this season? Will they remember you because you lived a life so on fire for Jesus that they needed to have what you had? Or will they even notice that you go to church? As we sit in the silence, I want you to think about how are you remembered? Maybe it's at work. How do your coworkers remember you? Maybe you're a parent or a grandparent. How will your kids remember you in this season? And today, I don't wanna preach a very hard message, but I feel like it can bring some conviction if need be on what it means for us to be remembered using 1 Thessalonians. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter one. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Thessalonians, if you're wondering. It does not, I'm just kidding. 1 Thessalonians chapter one. If you're there, say amen. If you got your electronic Bible, hopefully you charged it. If not, we got the Sky Bible. I'll give you a minute if you're looking it up. I will tell you this. I grew up in a very Pentecostal church and I'm a talkback preacher. So that means when I say something good, you say, amen. Let's practice. Amen. amen. Okay. You can clap. Let's practice. Clap. If you're progressive, you can snap. I don't care. You can snap. Um, I've also got, uh, when I've preached in other churches, preach white boy. You can say that too. I don't care. You can say whatever you want. That's it. Which, speaking of, let me not get into the text without doing this. Speaking of Verge, we have a Verge parent meeting today. Thank you, Randy, for reminding me. We have a Verge parent meeting today at 1130 or whenever I'm done. And uh, it's just so you can get to meet me and talk about Verge. I also have a resource for you. It's a top 20 tips for raising American teens in a digital world. So if you want one of these, come see me. It's also on our Instagram page for Verge. And uh, yeah, we just want to resource you in this generation. So anyways, Verge parent meeting after this. Okay, let's get to the word. 1 Thessalonians 1, 1 through 3, it says this, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. If you look at verse three, I want you to underline work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness or endurance in hope. Now here we have a familiar author in Paul. Anybody know who Paul is? Hopefully you do. Paul, the apostle, is doing missionary work, and he's on one of his missionary journeys, on one of his missionary trips, and on this trip, he founded the church in Thessalonica, okay? Now, Thessalonica is a strategic city known for their commercial and political status, but it's also known for their events, parties, and just having a great culture. They're known for, um, it, scholars say that they were named Greece's cultural capital. Now, Paul was preaching here, and he's had some new converts come on the scene, but how many know sometimes when you go in spaces that Jesus ain't welcome, you can get kicked out? So here's what happens. Paul is preaching, and he ends up getting kicked out, and later on his missionary journey, he has these two guys, Silas and Timothy, come to him and inform him that the church of Thessalonica is thriving in the midst of persecution. 
as new believers, right? So Paul, he is so encouraged by this that he said, I need to write them a letter and encourage them in their faith as new believers. How many know as new believers, you gotta have people around you that can encourage you and tell you sound doctrine. Not just what Instagram says. Uh, I'll get to that later. Scholars say this, they say, this letter is full of interest because it is certainly among the first of those which has been preserved for us from the pen of Paul. It was the first he wrote to the European Christians and it is, and in it, the fundamental things of the Christian life are very clearly set forth. So here you have this church in Thessalonica who are new converts and a strategic, Let me say that again. Strategic city that is influenced by politics, cultural relevance, progressive thought. They're influenced by commerce and they're dealing with persecution and cultural climates. Does that sound familiar? Does a little bit. But I love the way that Paul starts this letter. Let's go back to the first verse. It says this. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you why that's significant. As Paul is preaching here, and he's writing this to uh, these new converts, and he addresses them as a church. Why is that important? Because he's telling them, hey, you're not alone in this walk of faith. How many know sometimes when you give your life to Jesus, the first couple months, years can be lonely? What he's encouraging them in is he's saying, listen, you are a church now. You have people to rely on. Then he goes further and says, in God the Father. And I love that because what does God the Father do? He brings stability. So he's saying, not only are you a group of believers, but because you're in God, you're in a stable environment and in the Lord Jesus Christ, what is he doing? He's reaffirming the deity of Christ to these new believers, but he's also saying, hey, because of Christ, you have an authority to endure what you're going through. Isn't that encouraging this morning? Just in the opening verses, Paul is reminding us those things. And then he mentions something in the second half of this verse. Let's go to slide two. It says, remembering before our God and Father, your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope. So Paul here tells his church, This is what you remember for. This is how I remember you is by your work in faith, your labor of love and your endurance or steadfastness and hope. And you say, Pastor Alex, that's great for the church of Thessalonica back then. But what does that have to do with me today in 2022? Here's what it has to do with us because I believe that we are all remembered for something, especially for those of us who are Christians. And I believe fundamentally, these are the three things that every Christian should be remembered for. Our work in faith, our labor of love, and our endurance in hope. And today I want to break down those things for you of how we can be remembered in this Thanksgiving season. Okay, so the first point is work of faith. Everybody say faith. Faith. Let's say it with your chest. Say faith. faith. I like the unison. Now, when I was reading this, I'll be honest, Pastor Daniel, when I read it, I said, work of faith and labor of love. So either Paul is a workaholic or there's something different to the text that he's saying. And when you look at the original language here, he's talking in work. There's two different meanings behind the term work, okay? And here in work and faith, Paul is referencing, hold on, Paul is referencing, reflecting on a time of Jesus' ministry 
where Paul wants to highlight the main thing to this group of believers. See, when I was reading the text, I went to James chapter two, where it talks about faith without works is dead. But here, Paul is talking a little bit deeper, different meanings for work of faith and labor of love. And here we find out what that means in John chapter six, 28 and 29. And it tells us this. Then they said to him, what must we be, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believed in him whom he has sent. Let me break it down. Scholars say this. In this sense, faith is an act of deed, but it is not a toil by which a man earns merit or in which he can boast. In fact, it is the only work that a man can perform without robbing Christ of his glory as Savior and without denying his own status as a helpless sinner. Faith is a non-meritous work by which the creature acknowledges the creator and the sinner acknowledges his Savior. See, what work of faith is meaning here is the act of believing in God through salvation and the process of sanctification. Let me break it down. Simply put, your work of faith is when you first believed in God and then how you progressed after believing in Jesus. How many know you got to grow in this thing called faith after you give your life to Jesus? I'll be honest. Sometimes when I travel and speak, especially to teens, I tell them that Pastor Alex was not always Pastor Alex. Can I get an amen? <laughs> and most of us in this room have BC days. That's what I like to call them. My before Christ days where we acted a little crazy, right? But let me encourage you, church, and your work of faith, when we give our life to Jesus and we start the sanctification process, your before Christ days shouldn't match your after Christ days. Uh, am I talking to somebody today? When you give your life to Jesus... There should be a noticeable difference when you got saved and how you're walking thus forth. Let me break it down practically. We shouldn't watch the same things we used to watch before we were saved. Oh, y'all not going to talk to me. We shouldn't listen to the same things we used to listen to. We shouldn't, come on, we shouldn't have road rage the same way we used to. We shouldn't talk to our spouses the same way we used to. We shouldn't go off on social media the same way we used to. Uh, Pastor Alex getting in the Kool-Aid this morning. There should be a noticeable difference. And here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that you're magically transformed the moment you get saved. Here's what I am saying. There should be a progression from the time you get saved to where you are now. There should be a noticeable difference. And if there's not, we need to work on that. And I'm not saying that because of legalism. I'm not saying that, oh, you can't do that. Here's what I am saying. It's because the change of God that Jesus has made through your life, through his unfailing grace, we should be wanting to progress in our faith. We should want to get better, to grow deeper, not just for us, but for those who are watching us. Amen. Your greatest witness is not how many scriptures you can quote, how many hymns you know, or how well you fit into this Christian group. Your greatest witness to Jesus is a life change you experience. Right. It's not about perfection, it's about progress. And you say, well, Pastor Alex, I'm not newly saved. I've been saved for 30 years. That doesn't apply to me. Well, it does. Here's how. Because there's some of us in here that have served Jesus faithfully for years and years. And we know the scriptures and we know the songs and we know the stories. But you know what I think our greatest danger for seasoned Christians are? Is to grow stagnant. Our greatest danger as Christians, as seasoned believers, is to grow stagnant and not know the work of God doing in this moment. 
It reminds me of King Asa. Can I take you to the Old Testament? King Asa was a descendant of David. He was king of Judah for 41 years. And the Bible says that King Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. You say, well, that's great. What does it have to do with anything? Well, it also says that unfortunately in the 35th year of King Asa's reign, he made some mistakes. He made an agreement that he was not supposed to make. And what ended up happening is they sent someone to confront him And instead of repenting of the decision that King Asa made, you know what he did? He turned away. He became angry and he began to oppress some of the people. And for the remainder of King Asa's reign, his kingdom was at war. And then the Bible says that King Asa became sick and blatantly chose to rely on men, other men, instead of God. Scholars mention of King Asa, they say the life of King Asa is an example to all of us of how easy it is to drift away from the Lord. Asa began his reign with a strong commitment to God, but as years went, his dedication faltered, bringing unnecessary trouble. Either end of the spectrum, whether you're a new believer or you're a seasoned believer, our work of faith matters. When we believe in Jesus and the sanctification process afterwards matters. But let me remind you, church, don't grow stagnant. Don't rely on God, what he did yesterday. God's doing something today as well. May we not grow stagnant. So first we have our work and faith. Secondly, we have our labor of love. Everybody say love. See, Paul here is talking about the church of Thessalonica and their service for God motivated by love to Jesus. You ever notice how a new believer will serve in any capacity? Like when you're freshly saved, you'll go run errands for the pastor and don't even ask for gas money. You'll stay after church and stack all the chairs, you'll vacuum the carpet, you'll do everything. Why? Because you're newly saved and you want to do everything you can to advance the kingdom of God, right? You know what I'm talking about? There is something significant in the life of a believer where we serve Christ so passionately and love others so genuinely that it becomes so countercultural to our world today that others begin to take notice and wonder, what's different about you? My mentor would say this, Christianity is not a life to be endured for duty's sake, but it's a person to be served for love's sake. Love for Christ draws forth a service that money could never inspire. Let me break it down practically. I love my wife and child, Xander, who, God bless him, he's in the nursery. Hopefully he's not crying. I love them so much that I don't do things out of obligation for them because it's my duty as a husband and father to do those. No, I serve them because I love them. And it should be the same way for us as Christians. We should want to serve God because we love him. Now, let me say this. It would be real easy as a church to love God only and not love others. Plot twist, you can't love God and not love people. I've heard pastors say before, it'd be, Christianity would be real easy if it weren't for people. <laughs> oh, so y'all agree. I know what y'all talking about. Here's the problem we lie in today. We will be remembered for not only how we love and serve God, but how we love and serve other people. So what does that mean? That means opening up connect groups for people that are not just in our little circle, but inviting people to fit in. 
What does that mean? That means not on social media going off just because they don't have the same ideas that we do. What does that mean? That means we serve him in our devotion to God so that way we serve other people in community outreaches. means paying it forward. It means inviting someone new to church for the first time. Why? Because we love God, so we love others. Now, let me say this. Can I, can I be transparent with you today? If your labor of love for Christ is for you to get noticed, you're stealing God's glory, and you're doing it wrong. Our service to God is for not us to get on a platform or a stage just to get noticed. When we go out of our way to serve other people, that's not for us to say, ooh, I get a gold Sunday school star. I'm good. I get an extra jewel in the crown. That's not how this works. Your love for God and for others should strictly be motivated by that love so you serve. So first we have our work of faith. Everybody say faith. Then we have our labor of love. Everybody say love. love. And lastly, we have our endurance of hope. Tegan, if you can come play, because that makes everything sound more spiritual. <laughs> Paul here is talking of their steadfast waiting for Jesus during their stand for Christ while receiving persecution. In the midst of the unknown, the church of Thessalonica was okay because they knew where their hope was and who their hope was in. Can I be honest with you, church? It doesn't matter if financial situations come up, family situations come up, past circumstances come up, anxiety and depression come up. Why? Because when you have a hope that's found in Jesus, oh, uh, y'all not listening to me. When you have a hope in Jesus, that means you're not going through things alone anymore. That means you're not codependent on other people. That means that we have a hope and faith in a God, in a Savior, who was buried and died for three days, taking on the sins of the world and is now risen, seated at the right hand of the Father. That's the hope that we have, that no matter what we go through this Thanksgiving season, what circumstances we face, that we have a hope in a Savior that's defeated death, hell, and the grave. Can we get excited for that today? You say, Pastor Alex, why does endurance and hope matter? It matters because as a Christian, you're being watched. Did you know people are watching you? Did you know your kids watch you? You know your coworkers watch you? You know your spouse watches you? Why does endurance of hope matter? Can we put that picture back up of me and my mom? Everybody say all. I feel like I just did something before I did got this photo taken. I feel like I got, got beat in a parking lot or something. I don't know. I want to be transparent with you today if I can. I'm kind of open up my life to you today. Endurance and hope matters because my mom's story matters. And my mom and dad, I'll be transparent, they got divorced when I was five because there's a lot of things in their marriage that just didn't work. There was a lot of drinking and different stuff that happened and my mom decided that she was gonna make a different path, right? What I didn't tell you is prior to me being born, 
five or six years to me being born, my mom was in a toll booth accident with a tractor trailer. And what we didn't know at this time is that she was gonna be permanently disabled after the next few years of this photo. And what ended up happening is she would have rheumatoid arthritis or heart problems or lung problems or diabetes and she'd have all these things. And it got to the point where she ended up having a hospital bed in our home. And when she'd have a hospital bed in her, in our living room, we would have nurses come in just to check on her and do things for her while I was at school. And church, I remember nurses would come up and they'd say, Miss Tammy, I, I don't get it. With all this stuff going wrong with you, how do you still have a smile on your face? And my mom's famous quote was, God's got this and I trust him. And as years progressed, we had many nurses and hospital visits and doctor trips. My mom's light for Jesus because of her endurance and hope was the greatest witness she could have ever had than standing on this platform with this mic. And one of her biggest witnesses was in 2015. I was in Los Angeles, I was a junior in college and I was traveling all over the country preaching Little did I know my world was getting ready to get turned upside down. I was preaching on the streets of LA and I get a phone call. It's from a hospital in Virginia. They said, is this Mr. Bridger? And I said, yeah. They said, I don't know where you're at, but your mother's been rushed to the hospital and she's only got moments to live. And in that moment, I dropped my phone and I, I looked around and my world started spinning. If you've ever been there, you know. And I. I, the first thing I could do was I, I talked to my director and I said, can we get a flight back home? Can we do something? And in the middle of trying to get a flight back home, I got a call and she said, hey, it's from my dad, which the redemption story of that is amazing. I'll share it with you later. He called me and said, hey, your mom's with Jesus. And I remember the next few days was just such a whirlwind. I didn't know what end was up and sideways. I didn't know how I even made it through those days. And when we had our visitation and our funeral, hundreds of people came, hundreds of people I didn't even know. And nurses come up and they shake, their hand, shake my hand and say, Alex, your mom's hoping Jesus got me to go to church again. And then another nurse would come up and say, Alex, I remember your mom's smile. It brought me joy in a season where I didn't know if I was gonna make it. And story after story after story after story of my mom's faith in Jesus became her greatest witness. And I bet you it probably touched more lives from a hospital bed in our living room than her ever standing on the stage and holding a mic. And why does endurance and hope matter, church? It matters because there's a world out there who's watching us as Christians who are dealing with anxiety, depression, suicide, hopelessness. And they need people to watch so they can have hope too. Your greatest witness as a Christian in this season is your work in faith, your labor of love, and your endurance and hope. Will you stand with me all over the room today?